Thank you, uh, Connect Church. Give it up for the worship band um, one more time. Thank you, guys. As a guest speaker, I know I'm supposed to save my voice for, for this next 30 minutes or so, but it's really hard not to use up my voice in worship like in those moments. So, um, so thank you. Uh, Connect Church, it is a privilege and an honor to be with you. Um, I have followed along the journey of Connect Church uh, since your inception, and um, I've been a, a pastor locally for uh, 12 years, 15 years, I guess, um, and so it's just been a privilege. It's a place I've always wanted to guest preach. I've never had that opportunity, and um, I started working out at the CrossFit place over here, and Dave's a member there. He's getting ready for his Everest uh, base camp trip last year, you know, and, and a couple weeks ago, we were working out, and he's like, hey, can you preach on the 19th? And I was like, I would love to. I've been waiting to get called up to the big leagues. So um, thank you for your hospitality. Thanks for having me here. Um, it truly is an honor and privilege. Just a little bit of background. Um, it feels obligatory, but here's a picture of my family. Um, just so you know, you know kind of who I am. Um, this is my wife to the left of me, uh, Karen. She's back here in the audience this service. Um, we will be married 28 years uh, this year. We've got two kids. Our son, Ethan, on the right, um, and his fiance, Lexi, next to him. They're gonna get married uh, this September. Um, they've asked me to do the wedding ceremony, uh, which I've done a lot of weddings. Um, this will be the first, you know, that I'm probably gonna ball during. Um, but, you know, my daughter has said, absolutely not, Dad. I'm not even letting you have a microphone at my wedding. You're just walking me down the aisle and then sit down and be quiet. Um, but that's my daughter on the left over here. She is a senior at Metamora High School. Uh, gonna graduate this May, go to ICC for a couple years, and then we'll see uh, where, the, where the Lord leads her. And she'll probably be at our church camp all summer this summer. And so we're, we're, uh, we're on the verge of being empty nesters. Um, and we love our kids, but kind of excited about being empty nesters. If you're an empty nester and you're with me, some empty nesters are like, oh, it's so sad they're gone. I'm like, um, go be an adult. That's why I raised you. Um, anyway, I hope I get invited back uh, to speak here. That's gonna come in question here soon because I am from Metamora. Can we just get the booze out right now? Seriously, like, just give them to me. I can take them. I can take them, you know. Um, it's gonna get worse, Jeff, right, Jeff? because I'm gonna talk about Metamora football. Just seriously, everybody on the count of three, boo. One, two, three. Thank you, thank you. We did destroy you in basketball this year though. So, um, did I say that out loud? Wow, I'm so sorry. Sometimes the Holy Spirit doesn't have control of me. Um, it is, it, it, I hope I get to come back. Um, Whitney, please apologize to Dave on my behalf. Um, so I, like I said, I've been a pastor. I was on staff at uh, Great Oaks in Germantown Hills, Metamore for 12 years from 2007 to 2019, uh, primarily doing student ministry. And then uh, in 19, I resigned from there and joined the staff of Youth for Christ, uh, still to work with students in Metamora. Um, so I run a youth center in Metamora. I also substitute teach quite a bit in Metamora High School. Um, and then I'm also director of operations for Youth for Christ for all of Central Illinois. Um, as you can imagine, youth pastors, most youth pastors are highly relational, not always the most organized. I have this weird ability to be both, um, and so I get to talk to our team about structure and strategies and processes and compliance, and they love when I come to meetings. So, um, but enough of that. Uh, but you guys, seriously, I have watched, since I was a pastor locally, I've watched the Genesis of Connect Church. I watched as you guys were mobile church for years. 
I watched when you moved into this building. And I know that transition from a mobile church to having a place of your own is absolutely amazing. And uh, it has just been a joy and a privilege to watch your church. I blatantly stole your mural idea. Um, the first time I came to Connect, I was like, wow, that is amazing. I have a mural in, in Metamore Youth Center now that has students from all over the country. Um, blatantly stole it from you guys. So thank you, thank you. Um, let me pray and then, uh, and then we'll get into the message for today. Father God, thank you um, for the hospitality of Connect Church to invite a metamoron um, to come and be a part of their service, to speak on their stage. Um, Father, I love that Jesus unites people, uh, not just in, in fun rivalries in our sports and our communities, but Father, globally, we, because we bear the name of Jesus and, and we bear the blood of Jesus, Lord, we have brothers and sisters all around the world. And some of us had that privilege of experiencing that when you, you go to another country, another culture, and you, you worship in another language, you experience uh, the passion for Jesus, the love for God in another culture. And Father, just remind us of that as, as we are in churches, Connect, and, and my own church, Great Oaks, we're in churches that create very comfortable environments, and they're like home for us, and they should be. But Father, remind us that we are part of a historic and global faith. Father, that you are working around the world in ways that we cannot even imagine. And Father, we get to play one small part. Thank you for adopting us into your family, that we get to be called children of God, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Father, may we lift his name here this morning. We pray this in his name. Amen. I'm telling you, I used up my voice on that worship. Um, let me ask a question. Have you ever had a moment when you felt invisible? When you just overlooked or ignored? I remember a moment when I was in high school. I was a senior. Um, I, I wasn't the amazing specimen I am now. I was kind of a nerd um, back in high school. I'm still a nerd. I just, you know, I had a mullet my senior year of high school, if you can believe that. Um, but I, I, was, I was in the hallways. It was during class. There was nothing happening. Nobody else in the hallway. Um, I'd probably go to the restroom or something like that. Um, but I'm walking down the hall, and another senior, a girl, is walking towards me, and she was very cute, and she was very attractive, and everybody in the school knew her, and every boy in the school had a crush on her, including myself. And it's just me and her in the hallway, and I'm like, here's my chance, right? But I'm awkward, and I'm nerdy, so I'm not gonna take that shot at all. I'm just gonna be awkward. And, but I'm walking towards her, and all of a sudden, she like waves, and I'm like, she sees me. And so I wave back and I'm like, we're gonna date, we're gonna get married, we're gonna have family. And then I hear her best friend who I didn't know was walking behind me. And she walks right past me, this look like, who are you? Like, what? No, I wasn't waving at you. You ever had a moment like that? You ever had a moment where you felt invisible? Nobody likes that feeling. Nobody wants to be overlooked. Nobody wants to, to be forgotten. Nobody wants to be chosen last for dodgeball except for those kids who hate dodgeball and didn't want to be in PE class anyway. Nobody wants to be overlooked for the promotion, for the, the raise. Nobody wants to be overlooked for the award, the, the public recognition. 
Nobody likes to be alone in a crowd. And yet, sometimes we feel that way. You know, for years I've done youth ministry and one of the things that I, I always try and do is be at the front door to greet students as they come in, uh, to give them a fist bump, a high five, uh, to let them know that I'm glad they're there. They, I say these words, I'm glad you're here. Even that kid that I'm not really sure <laughs> I'm glad is here because I know that their presence is gonna make it more challenging. Like when Whitney walks towards me at youth ministry and I'm like, oh, Whitney's here. Like this is gonna be a tough night. I'm glad you're here. But I really try and let the Holy Spirit make that true. That I am glad Whitney's here. I'm just picking on Whitney because I met her this morning. So, and she's one of your pastors, so I get to pick on her. Jeff, please don't beat me up. Um, I felt your muscles when we shook hands. That's, whoo. I'm a little fearful for my upcoming illustration. I'm gonna stand over here. Um, but I'll tell you, in, in, in student ministry world, there are some kids, and no matter where they go, not just student ministry, but in student world, there are some kids, and no matter where they go, they're not welcomed. Coaches, teachers, pastors, business owners, sometimes even parents. Kid walks in the door of the classroom. It's gonna be tough today, because that kid's here. When a kid came to my youth ministry, I want to know, no matter who they were, no matter what their background was, that I see you, that you matter to me because you matter to God. And I'm going to do my best to create a place where, where you belong, where you feel seen and welcomed. If you think about it, this, this need to be known, this need to be uh, visible goes back to the garden. We read in Genesis that God is, is creating all things and, and he creates you know, heavens and earth and he says it's good. He creates sky and land and water and he says it's good. He creates animals and birds and fish and he says it's good. And he creates Adam and he says it's not good. It's not good that, that man is alone. It's the first time we see this not good statement. And so God creates Eve as a companion for Adam we're hardwired in our creation to be in relationship with other people. Think about our Heavenly Father is in relationship with himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like we are made in his image. We are made to be in relationship with other people, to be seen, to be known, to be loved. It goes back to our childhood. We all wanted to hear our parents say, I'm proud of you, great job, well done. I grew up in a family that was poor and my dad was on the road Monday through Friday. My mom worked three jobs to, to help make ends meet. So they couldn't go to a lot of my sporting events. I played tennis and basketball in high school. And, and so when they did show up, it was an amazing moment for me. It did something deep in my heart. It stirred me and I played better. I guarantee you I played better because mom or dad were there watching. I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be known. Some of you here today, you have felt invisible your entire life. Everywhere you've gone, whether it was your, your parents, your peers, teachers, coaches, coworkers, bosses. My hope is that here at Connect Church, that you find a place where you're seen and that you find a place where you belong, where you're loved and you're known. 
And I'm gonna ask something of you. This isn't my church, but this is the kingdom of God here in this, in this church. I'm gonna ask something of you. You have felt invisible for a long time. And I'm asking you to take one more relational risk, to step out of the, the darkness, to meet Whitney, to meet one of the pastors, to join a small group, to join a service team, to, to put yourself out there one more time. And I know that's a big ask for some of you, but I hope and pray that you will find that at Connect Church, that many other churches around the globe, that your experience is different than anywhere else you've ever had. Some of you have never struggled with being invisible. You were the top of your class, you were the star quarterback, you were voted most likely to succeed, most likely to, to become president. You, were, you became a prized employee in a company early on. You, these recognition, these moments of recognition, you know, they, they stir something within us. And, and it's not bad. It's not bad to, to be employee of the month or salesperson of the year, or top producer in the company. It's not bad to, to maybe have a big house or a nice car, but sometimes these come with a dark side. Pride, ego, arrogance. I am the best and everybody needs to know that. When I first moved down here in 2007, get your booze ready, Jeff. Um, when I moved down here in 2007, Metamora football was on a, on a tear, just postseason. Like, I'm not a football player, um, and, but I moved to a town that was a crazy football town, and everybody, you know where everybody is on Friday night. Um, but I had to ask somebody, you know, what, what was the history there when I moved down here? I just knew it was a big deal. So 06, we went to the semifinals. 07, we were state champions. 2008, we were the state runners up. 2009, we were state champions again. 2010, we were in the semifinals. Please boo now, please do it. Just boo, thank you, thank you. <clears throat> Ooh, you guys killed us though this year in football. Oh my goodness. I remember coming over to watch and I got the tail end of the freshman game. And of course we came to Washington this year for the game. Um, so, you know, we came at the tail end of the freshman game. I walked in, I looked at the scoreboard, 44 to zero. You decimated our freshmen. Oh my God. And then you went on to, to destroy our varsity as well. So amazing. You guys have a great future right now in, in Metamora football. Um, but I moved down to Metamora during this state series, you know, these multi years of, of just incredible football. And, and, and like I said, sometimes when things are going well like that, it comes with some pride, some ego, some arrogance. It's easy to have that happen. And I, I got invited to speak at Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, at Metamora High School during that run. And I decided to speak on, uh, I decided to do a, a sermon or message called Humility in the Face of Greatness. What does that look like to, to be great at something, to be successful at something, and, and yet to demonstrate humility despite that greatness. And so uh, we, we talked about compassion and humility and service to others while being excellent at something. And it's a, it's a difficult tightrope to walk, isn't it? You know, to balance that, that success with the challenge of ego and arrogance. Uh, today, we're gonna look at one of my favorite biblical characters. His name was John the Baptist. He was somebody who had to, to walk that tightrope 
He was a, a unique man. He, he lived in the wilderness. He had a, a message of both hope and conviction. And I think we can learn a lot from his life, especially how to maintain humility in the face of greatness. Now, as I said, John was a unique individual. Here's how historic Christian art has uh, displayed John. You got the, the shaggy hair and beard and, you know, a little, almost looks a little sad and depressed here, but he is living in the wilderness eating locusts all the time. I'd be sad too. Um, here's how the chosen displayed him. Um, looks a little crazy, right? You know, I don't know if I wanna interact with this guy. Uh, if you're a little older, maybe the Jesus film, this is how the Jesus, like, wow. That hair, um, I might be jealous, I'm not sure. Um, but John was a unique individual. He was second cousin to Jesus. Stop and think about that for a minute. Like, tell me about your family tree. Oh, I'm related to Jesus. God's my cousin. Yeah, yeah. His birth was announced by an angel, right? Like, that's pretty cool. He lived and ministered in the wilderness. He wasn't an urban guy. He was more a wilderness guy. He had this cloak made of camel's hair. His primary diet was locusts and honey. And he had this, this unique message about the kingdom of God was, was coming soon. It's kind of like the, the crazy street preacher you encounter, right? You go to some major cities and there's a guy in the corner and he's yelling at people and he's got a sign, the kingdom of God is near, repent, you know, all this stuff. Like this is who John the Baptist is. He's unique. And yet there's something about him that people are coming from all over the place to see him, to hear his message. Uh, people came from, from all over the place to be baptized by him. Uh, he, here, add this to your resume. Uh, what have you accomplished in your life? I baptized God. Yeah, Jesus came one day, God, and I, I baptized him. You know, I tried to tell him not to, I need to be baptized, but he's like, no, no, I'm gonna be baptized by you. That's a pretty big deal. Jesus publicly praised John said he was the greatest man born to women on earth. And John wasn't content though just to, to speak in the wilderness. He also challenged the leaders of the day. He challenged the political leaders and the, the religious leaders of the day. And in fact, he called out the king, King Herod, because Herod had stolen his brother's wife, Herodias, and said, no, she's gonna be mine. And John's like, that's wrong. Like, you shouldn't be doing that. Publicly arguing against the king, calling the king out for doing something wrong, usually that doesn't go well. I'm not real sure, but usually it doesn't go well. So John gets arrested and imprisoned by Herod. And yet Herod is so fascinated by him that he kind of just lets him languish in prison. Like, he's, there's something about John that Herod is, is attracted to here. Like, his message is unique, and maybe it's, you know, who knows what. Herodias, John's new wife, not such a fan of John. And one day they're having a party and uh, Herodias' daughter dances for the guests and King Herod says, I'll give you whatever you want. She goes to her mom, says, what should I ask for? Uh, Herodias says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter now. And Herod, out of you know, courtesy for his guests because it would bring shame on his household if he didn't honor his wife's request, went and beheaded John and brought his head to the party. Jesus is in the midst of a a really intense season of ministry when he hears the word that John has been murdered. And, and Jesus grieves deeply for his cousin. Uh, let's take a look at some of the snapshots of John's life. Let's, uh, you know, maybe think about superhero movies. We got our origin story, right? Where does, where does John come from? Well, his parents are, are older. Um, they haven't had any other kids yet. 
Um, they're well beyond childbearing years. Um, Zechariah, his father, is a priest and uh, was cast lots to serve in the Holy of Holies in the temple uh, in honor that, that would probably only come up once in your lifetime. And while he's in there, an angel appears to him. And here's what uh, Luke, the gospel, writes in chapter 1, verse 12. He says, when Zechariah saw him, the angel, he was terrified. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but whenever people encounter angels in scripture, it's not this soft, melodic, angelic moment that we think about in movies like, oh, there's a nice glow in my room. There's an angel here. Everybody who encounters an angel in scripture is terrified and just literally falling on their, on their knees because they think they're gonna die because they realize they're in the presence of something incredibly powerful, right? And the angel, the first thing he says is, whoa, whoa, whoa stop, don't be afraid. You know, it's like when you send your kids away for a week of camp and middle of the week the camp calls and you see that caller ID pop up, you're like, uh-oh, what happened? I, I've had that happen a couple times with my kids and my daughter's at camp and thankfully the camp directors know the first thing they say to parents is, your daughter's fine. I'm like, oh, all right, cool. What are you calling about, right? Just immediately put me at ease. Uh, that's what the angel does here for Zechariah. You're fine. Zechariah, I'm not here for you. In fact, I have a message for you. I have a blessing for you. And he says, your prayer's been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, is gonna bear you a son and you're gonna name him John. And there's gonna be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at your son's birth. And he's gonna be great in the sight of the Lord and will, will never drink wine or beer. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. In fact, he's gonna turn many of the children of Israel back to the Lord, their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedience to the understanding of righteous and to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. I wanna, I wanna bring a few statements out of that. It says that he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the womb. I don't know if you've studied the Holy Spirit much, but... In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on a person for a certain time, for a certain task, and then the Holy Spirit would depart from that person. And in ahead of where Zechariah and John are is the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came on everybody who believes in the name of Jesus. That's our experience today. We have the Holy Spirit residing within us if we have said yes to Jesus. Here, John is in that middle ground, but there's something unique about him that we really don't see anywhere else in Scripture. It says that the Holy Spirit's gonna dwell with John while still in the womb. He was born with the Holy Spirit residing in him from, from birth. And it also says that he's gonna go before him, before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah. And if you don't know your Old Testament, you, you need to understand who Elijah is. Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament that did incredible miracles. He, he challenged the prophets of Baal in a, a, a God versus God mountaintop battle. He predicted no rain for, for the nation for three years. He provided widow with unending grain and oil and that widow's son dies and Elijah raises him from the dead. He crosses over the Jordan on dry ground, the Jordan River. He, he's taken up in a chariot of fire. In fact, uh, the Jewish people still today Part of the Passover meal, the Seder meal, is they have a cup of wine that is there for Elijah because they're, they're waiting for him to be a guest. And at one point in the Passover meal, they'll send a child to the front door to open the door and look out to see if Elijah is coming. That is still the wait, waiting and expectation that they have today. And, and the angel says to Zechariah, your son John is going to come in the form and the spirit of Elijah, the long-awaited one who's gonna usher in the Messiah. 
And then he also says this in verse 17, to, to turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And why is that important? Uh, well, some of the last words we have from God in the Old Testament are in the book of Malachi, chapter four, verses five and six, and it says this. I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Zechariah as a priest would know these scriptures. He would know that this was a sign that the coming Messiah, that the Messiah was coming. And it's also important that, that we understand that Malachi um, was written down 400 years before John's birth. God has been silent for 400 years. Our nation is not 400 years old. So longer than the United States has been around, God was quiet. The prophets and priests hadn't heard from him. And all of a sudden, Zechariah, while serving in the temple, says, here's God speak a prophecy again. First time in 400 years. And it's about his son. Well, let's fast forward a little bit in John's life. Remember that he's been preaching in the wilderness. The crowds have been coming out to be baptized by him. He literally is a big deal. And so we pick up in John's gospel, chapter one. It says, this was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? So think about this. John is in the wilderness. Crowds are coming to him. Uh, of course, we're gonna wanna know, like, what is happening? What is, what is God doing right now, right? You know, think about the Asbury revival that we're all hearing about right now. People are, are going there because they wanna know what is God doing in this place? And this is what's happening to John. He's out in the wilderness and the religious leaders are, are sending people out to say, who are you? What are you doing? What is, what is God up to right now? And so they come out and they ask that question, who are you? And verse 20, John says, I'm not the Messiah. What then, they asked him, are you Elijah? No, I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. That's another Old Testament reference. Who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to, to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? Who are you? What are you doing? Why are you such a big deal? Have you ever had a moment like this? Have you ever had a moment when people sought you out because you were succeeding at something? Maybe it was in academics in school. Teachers recognized your abilities, so they were sending other students to you. Other students recognized your abilities, so they were coming to you and saying, help me understand this algebra, this chemistry, this whatever. Maybe it was success on the sports arena, and younger athletes were like, tell me how you train. I wanna, I wanna do what you do. Maybe as a parent, your kids are, are well-behaved and, and the rest of us as frantic parents are trying to figure out how in the world you do that. Maybe it's in business. Uh, your, your company has gone successful. Your, your role is, is, is a shining light in the, in the community and, and people are like, I wanna do like they do. I wanna learn from them. Uh, maybe it's your health and your wellness. People are seeking you out. You know, it's easy in moments like these to to start thinking more of ourselves than we should. It's easy to start getting prideful or arrogant. It's easy to start thinking, I am kind of a big deal. I am really smart. Like other students should be coming to me and asking me for help. I, I am an amazing athlete. Like other people should train how I train and drink the protein shakes that I drink and use the supplements that I use. I, I am the best parent I know. My kids eat healthy, they're always polite, and they do chores without being asked. Miracles could happen. Um, 
I, I'm the best employee this place has. Like if everybody worked as hard as me, we would be blowing things off the roof in this place. Like, it, oh, man, I am the best. It's easy to, to fall into traps like that when people start seeking you out. Now, let's see how John responds. Remember, he is a big deal, like bigger than we can imagine. Are you the Messiah? Nope. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? Not even close. Who are you? John looks at him and he says, I'm not. I'm not that smart. I'm not that good. I'm not the best. In fact, I'm, I'm not even the one you should be paying attention to. I don't know why you're here for me. I, I'm just one who is simply being obedient to what God has called me to accomplish in this world. And he goes on to explain that he came to reveal the Messiah. He came to, to point people towards Jesus. In fact, that's why he was baptizing, because God had told him that he will baptize the Messiah, and he'll know that because the, the, the Holy Spirit will descend on the Messiah like a dove. And here comes his, his cousin, the second cousin, Jesus. And you got to wonder if John kind of had some suspicions about him, you know. Um, but Jesus comes, and John's like, no, I, you need to baptize me, Right? And Jesus is like, no, 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 just do this. Like, this is what needs to happen. I mean, this is why John has been living in the wilderness. This is why he's been eating locusts and honey. He's been waiting for this day. And then it comes. And then the crowds start to shift their attention away from John and towards Jesus. People began to, to abandon John, to follow Jesus. Even some of John's closest friends and followers left him to go follow Jesus. How does John respond in this moment? How would you respond? The student who thought they were valedictorian suddenly finds they're beat out by another. The star quarterback suddenly on the bench. The employee of the month can't even make quota. How would you respond? Well, they came to John and they said, Rabbi, the, the one you testified about, the one who's with you across the Jordan, he's baptizing and everybody's going to him. And John goes, good. That's what I wanted. That's why I'm here. He says, I'm not the Messiah. I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend, he, he stands to the side and he celebrates with the groom and the bride. He listens for the, the groom's voice and he celebrates. John says, people are going to Jesus? Then my joy is complete because he must increase and I I'm not that important. I've got a decrease. What's your purpose here on earth? Rick Warren writes in his seminal book, Purpose Driven Life, he starts the book with these words. It's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your, your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you wanna know why you were placed on the planet, you must begin 
with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. It's not about your personal fulfillment. Your life is not about peace of mind, happiness. Not about your family. It's not about your career. It's not about your, your wildest dreams and ambitions. If we claim to call ourselves followers of Jesus, then we must accept that our life is not our own. John modeled this for us. Jesus modeled this for us as the suffering servant. We exist to bring honor and glory to our heavenly father. And we should strive to do this in every area of our lives, in our, in our wildest dreams and ambitions, in our careers, in our families, in our, our personal fulfillment. These should all be focused upon bringing honor and glory to our heavenly father and not to ourselves. And Mark Twain once wrote, the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. Rick Warren would say that we are born by his purpose and for his purpose. If we bear the name of Jesus, then our purpose is to make him more known in this world. It's not about us. We are not, and this is hard for some of us to accept, we are not the main character in our life story. We're just not. Not if we said yes to Jesus. We, we, we step aside. John knew that. He knew it was to make Jesus more known in this world. John knew that he was sitting in the second chair. He knew that he was in the background, that his job was to elevate Jesus. So much of the tension in our lives is when we try to step into the spotlight in a place that, that we really shouldn't be. We did this men's study at our church years ago, and they had this thing called the paradox principle, and it was this, die to self. The instructor said, if you wanna live life the way God wants you to live, die to self. Make your life about loving God and loving others. Demonstrate the, the radical love of Jesus in a world that desperately needs it. What would, what would that look like in your world today? To, to step out of the spotlight, to take the second chair, to put Jesus there first. What would that look like in your world? To make Jesus more famous and yourself, myself, less famous. You know, I told you I work for Youth for Christ and three years ago when I came on staff, um, one of the first things that, that we did at that time was we went to summer camp in uh, South Carolina, North Carolina. We took charter buses down there. It was, it was a great week, long trip back home. We get back at like two in the morning back here in Peoria. And I remember as we pulled in, um, my new boss, our executive director, was there. And that stood out to me. Uh, he didn't need to be there. We were all capable leaders. We've done this before. We knew what needed to happen. He could have been at home in bed, asleep at two o'clock in the morning. I, I've had other bosses in the past that absolutely would have been. They'd have asked about it a couple days later. Hey, how was camp? That's right, you were gone for a week. And yet, my executive director shows up, and, and not only that, but you know, I don't know if you've ever traveled with kids on a bus, they get a little messy. Um, it's, take your family van and multiply it with 50 kids instead of you know, two or three. And so I'm on the bus, it's 2.30, all the kids have been picked up, and I'm cleaning the bus. And I look up, and there's our executive director sweeping and cleaning the bus with me. And he looks at me, he goes, Chris, why are you here? Go home. Like, you, you put in enough this last week. I got this. 
that was amazing to me. He died to self, put me above him, all to seek honor and glory for the name of Jesus. You know, it's the star athlete who gives up their, their starting position to a bench player in the final game of the season. And my son experienced that as a bench player in the basketball team, his senior year on senior night, one of the starters, another senior, who got to, got to be in the limelight the entire season, voluntarily said, you know, I want Ethan to have my position to start tonight. It's senior night. He deserves it. And of course, his parents, I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, it's the employee of the month who says, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna make it just about me. I'm gonna mentor the younger employees and, and then celebrate when they get employee of the month over me. I'm, I'm gonna train them how to do that. It's the CEO who gives up their bonus to provide more equitable pay. It's the, the family who downsizes their home and their, their lifestyle to give away more money to, to clothe and house and feed other people in need. It's demonstrating humility in the face of greatness. It's serving others without recognition. It's putting other people in the spotlight over yourself. It's celebrating the success of others. It's elevating others above yourself. You know what this world doesn't need? It doesn't need more of Christianders. It needs more of Jesus. He must increase. We must decrease. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for meeting us here this morning. Father, for your presence of the Holy Spirit through the conversations in the hallway, the, the warm cup of coffee in our hands, the laughter, the tears, the prayers, for the music that led us into worship in the throne room of heaven, for your word that that challenges us, inspires us, convicts us, Father, for your, your son, Jesus. I, I know that Connect Church exists to elevate the name of Jesus, just like my church does as well, and churches all over the globe. Father, help us to do that more and more and more. You know, when people look at this church, they don't see the pastors, they see Jesus. When people look at this church, they don't see a former Walmart turned into a church, but they see Jesus. When people encounter Connect Church in parades and in service projects and in small groups in people's homes, they don't see all of that. They don't praise the church, they praise Jesus. That's why we're here. Father, remind us of those moments when we begin to tiptoe into the spotlight. Remind us that we're supposed to be in the background. Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for your, <coughs> excuse me, we thank you for your love demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ. Father, you knew that we couldn't pay for our sin ourselves, that we couldn't save ourselves, and so you left heaven. You came here to experience life, fully God, fully man to die on the cross for our sins because there was no other way to open up the throne room of heaven to us that we can spend eternity both now and for eternity with God. Father, thank you for loving us that much. May we demonstrate that radical love to others. We pray this in the name of Jesus.
men.